The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. You know, we live in a society that's facing an anxiety epidemic. That may sound like a bit of an alarmist statement to uh, start our message off with, but I think that we recognize it intuitively, and the facts seem to back it up. I was just reading this week about a 2013 research project, and it discovered that the average person, listen to this, the average person endures slightly more than two hours each day of anxiety. Some of you are saying right now, I I can't even imagine that. And others of you are saying, "Is, is that all? But I just want to do the math for you. That, that translates to 31 full days, one whole month allotted to anxiety each and every year. And over a typical 60-year adult lifespan, which most of us will live, more than five years, five years are fundamentally wasted with worry. And it's not like there's any shortage of things for us to be anxious about. Will, will my health be okay? Will my current job remain secure? How am I going to do on the next assignment or the next exam that I have at school? What kind of career will I have when I graduate? Can I afford to pay my bills? Will I ever find that special someone? What do people think about me? How do I care for my aging parents? What what choices will my kids make as they grow up? How can I resolve the tension that I'm feeling in my marriage? Do I have enough money saved up for retirement? And on and on and on it goes. You know, um, little secret here, another source of tremendous anxiety for most people is the prospect of having to speak in public. Uh, Studies, maybe it's not a secret, you probably know that. Studies show that 75% of adults suffer from what's known as glossophobia. And I can attest, here's the secret, I can attest that even after almost two decades of, of uh, being a pastor and standing up in front of groups like this, that I still get those feelings of anxiousness every time I'm scheduled to preach. In fact, uh, one morning this weekend, or this week, I, uh, I woke up way earlier than I wanted to, and I uh, just tried to lay still and hope that I could fall back to sleep. But wouldn't you know it, my, my mind was just churning about with the message and what I was going to say and the things that, uh, you know, God was speaking to me. And I was just really feeling the weight of it. And I just couldn't seem to let it go. And then I had one of those Holy Spirit directed insights. You know, those things that are almost like a two by four to the head. And, um, you know, I just thought to myself, how ridiculous is it for me to be worried about a message on worry? I, I mean, how ridiculous is that? It's crazy. Uh, you know, I, I'm dating myself a little bit here, but many of you are familiar with the, the 1988 hit song by Bobby McFerrin, Don't Worry, Be Happy, right? And some of you have told me that since I mentioned that in the e-bulletin on Friday, it's just been going through your mind. You can't even get it out. But uh, it, it's got such an infectious tune and, and really simple lyrics, and they, they, they just speak to our situation. They resonate to this day. And one of the lines there... McFerrin offers this encouragement. He says, in every life, we have some trouble. But when you worry, you make it double. So don't worry. Be happy. Somebody's going to whistle, right? (laughs) 
Now, wouldn't it be great? Let's just be honest here. Wouldn't it be nice if things were that simple? Don't you wish we could all just like snap our fingers and whistle our way to a life free of anxiety? Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be just so sweet if we could just like flip the worry switch off once and for all and be done with it? But you know, unfortunately, anxiety is a real issue for most of us. And whether in your life it's an occasional visitor or a constant companion, whether it's one of those minor distractions or it's actually a major obstacle, a major roadblock, I think we can all agree that worry is something we would like to have less of in our lives. Would you agree with that? And the obvious question is, how? How can we overcome worry? How do we avoid anxiety? Well, that's, that's where we're headed this morning. And of course, this is Harvest Bible Chapel. We're not looking into the latest and greatest self-help manuals on the subject. We're looking into God's word. And so uh, if you haven't already turned there, why don't you uh, turn with me to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four, God's word contains everything that we need for life and godliness. And it speaks to all the issues of life, including this one this issue of worry, this issue of anxiety. Philippians chapter four, that's in the New Testament. If you're uh, just getting used to God's word, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, all right? I hope you found that. It's gonna be on the screen as well. And this is what the Apostle Paul writes in verses six and seven of Philippians chapter four. Probably a very familiar passage to many of us. He says this, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here's, here's the message in a sentence. Here's the big idea. And um, it's likely review for many of us. But my prayer is that God will burn it deeply into our hearts in a fresh way today. Here's the, here's the sentence. Here's the message. God calls me to overcome worry by expressing my concerns in prayer and experiencing the comfort of his peace. That's the, the simple yet profound truth of this passage. And we're gonna, we're gonna break it down into three sections. You'll see that in your notes. And so I hope you'll follow along and maybe jot a few things down that God uh, is using to impact your heart and your life. So here's the, here's the first section, the first part. God calls me to overcome worry. Notice again, the beginning of verse six, he says, do not be anxious about anything. And that word that's translated as anxious here in this verse has several related meanings. It has the idea of being troubled to the point of being crippled. And isn't it true that worry can just knock the legs out right from under us? It also has the idea, these are some of the concepts, it also has the idea of being pulled in different directions. And again, that's what worry does. Worry causes an internal tug of war. Our, our hopes pull us in one direction and our fears pull us in the opposite direction. And ultimately, we're pulled apart. That, that's the picture of being anxious. The old English root word from which we get worry means to strangle. Isn't that what worry does? It, it just grabs us by the throat and it squeezes, it chokes the life right out of us. The pastor and author Ed Roll describes four categories of warriors. And maybe you can identify yourself in one of these types of warriors. First one are mayday warriors. Mayday warriors. These are people who anticipate the worst case scenario in each and every situation. They continually live as if their life is, their life is going down just like a plane and no one is responding to the radio SOS. 
all right? That's a mayday warrior. Just always catastrophic. Or maybe you're a yesterday warrior. Yesterday warriors, they, they can't move beyond their past mistakes. They suffer from the shoulda, woulda, coulda syndrome. I should have known that would have happened. I, I could have prepared for that better. I, I would have done things differently if only I had known. That's that yesterday warriors. And then there's someday warriors. Someday warriors. And these are the people who just speculate endlessly about what might happen down the road and they seem to forget that tomorrow belongs to God. The future is completely his with all of its potential, all of its possibilities and all of its perils. And the last category that he mentions are everyday warriors. Everyday warriors. And these are just the people who get trapped in a cycle of anxiety and they replay the same situations over and over. And for them, worry has moved from part-time hobby to full-time occupation. I don't know if you can see yourself in that, but whatever the case may be, this verse, this passage is saying, do not be anxious. You, You could actually translate that literally. What Paul is saying is stop worrying. Stop worrying. And I want you to see that this this isn't just a suggestion to be considered. He's not just throwing out something for the original readers and for us to think about and, you know, if that works for you, why don't you put that into practice? This is an instruction to be followed. This is a command. And Jesus shares the same message in Matthew 6, 25 to 34. We're not going to turn there, but this is another one of those classic New Testament passages that deals with the subject of anxiety. And three times in just that short paragraph or so, Jesus says very directly, do not be anxious. And so what this means, at least to me, when I kind of put it together in very simple terms is that worry, friends, worry is sin. Because, you know, when the Bible tells us not to do something and we go ahead and do it anyway, whether we mean to or not, whether it's intentional or unintentional, it's wrong. And so often... And I speak for myself here. So often we, we just make light of worry and we, we kind of downplay it. And, you know, it's not a big deal. Everybody does this. Everybody wrestles with this. I'm no different than my neighbor. But the truth is, God is displeased when worry takes over our lives. And here's why. Because of what it reveals about our heart toward him. And we're going to talk more about that in a few moments. Not only though, I want you to catch this, not only are these words, do not be anxious in instruction, they're a command, they're a challenge from the Lord, but they're also an invitation. They're an invitation. God isn't just commanding us about what we are not supposed to do. He's also calling us into his intended design for our lives. See, never forget, God made us, God knows what's best for us, he wants what's best for us, and he wants us to experience fullness and freedom in our lives. And so he's inviting us to walk the path of of freedom, that path of fullness, that path of joy and blessing with him and to to steer clear of the way of worry, to avoid it at all costs. In other words, when God says don't, what he's really saying is don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. And that's why the Bible, in, in some other passages that talk about this subject, they, they give us some, some very practical motivations, some solid reasons why we should overcome worry, why it's really not a good way to live. And I just want to mention two of these. First is because anxiety doesn't accomplish anything. 
Ever thought about that? Anxiety doesn't accomplish anything. It's unproductive. And I don't know about you, but I really don't have any more time to fritter away doing something that gets me nowhere good. Jesus lays it out very clearly, Matthew 6, 27, and he asks this question. He says, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Ecclesiastes 2.22, Solomon inquires this. He says, what has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? Some other translations say anxious striving, the striving of heart, anxious striving. What do you have from all of your anxious striving? Essentially, both of these verses are asking the same question. What's the point of worrying? What is the net gain? And as someone has well said, worrying is a lot like rocking in a chair. It gives you something to do, but it gets you nowhere. Isn't that true? Worry just doesn't accomplish anything. It's, it's totally unproductive. But there's a second reason God shares in his word about why we need to avoid anxiety. Not just that it's unproductive. It isn't good for us. It's unhealthy. Proverbs 12, 25, one of many verses I could have chosen, says this. It says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. How many would attest to the fact that you have felt the weight of worry? I think most of us have. And this weight, this, this weighing down of our hearts, it, it causes all sorts of physical and emotional and relational, not to mention spiritual problems in our lives. A recent study done by the American Psychological Association highlights just some of the implications of anxiety. Listen to this. 48% of those polled lie awake at night unable to sleep. 54% said it caused them to fight with people they love. 8% said it even led to divorce. 44% reported headaches, one-third upset stomachs, 17% grind their teeth, 43% said they eat unhealthy food or too much food in order to deal with their anxiety. One-third have lost their appetite, kind of the opposite response. They've skipped meals. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. Do you see how it's true? Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. God says, worry isn't good for us. It's It's unhealthy. So so back to Philippians chapter four. Do not be anxious about anything. I want you to notice that this statement is is all-encompassing. Notice that Paul doesn't say, stop sweating the small stuff, but if you want to get all jacked up about the big stuff, I'm okay with that. He doesn't say, "Um, I don't want you to fret about that, but you can fret about this. No, scripture calls us to live without worry of any kind or for any reason. Do not be anxious about anything. And you're saying, that's what I want. I I want that kind of life. I want want to experience what you're talking about. I'm still wondering though, how do I do this? Well-known pastor and author Andy Stanley says, you don't stop worrying by trying to stop worrying. It doesn't work that way. It's not something that happens through sheer willpower. In fact, sometimes trying really hard just makes things worse. Have you ever noticed that? You try not to think about something, and what do you do? You think about that thing. So what's the key? Well, again, look at verse 6. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So God calls me to overcome worry. Here's how. By expressing my concerns in prayer. Prayer is the secret weapon against worry. It's the water that we douse on the fire of anxiety. We overcome worry by expressing our concerns to God in prayer. And I want you to see just in this verse three very important aspects of this prayer. They're right in the text. I think you're going to notice them with me. First, this prayer that we bring to the Lord. It's, it's prayer about everything. Do you notice the contrast? He says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Notice the contrast. It's prayer about everything. Take any and every situation to God in prayer. Leave nothing out. There's nothing too big, nothing too small, nothing too monumental, nothing too uh, mundane that we can't bring it before the Lord in prayer. And, and I don't know about you, but I struggle with this. I struggle with this. I kind of struggle in both sides of the equation. Sometimes when I'm dealing with what I at least perceive to be a minor concern, I just say to myself, you know what? I think I'll just handle this one on my own. I don't don't need to bother God with this one. I mean, he's got bigger fish to fry, lots of other issues he's dealing with. I don't need to take this little thing to him. But the reality is when I don't bother God with it, it bothers me. And I become anxious. And by the way, it doesn't bother God, right? It doesn't bother God. He invites us, he calls us to bring it to him. And then those other situations where what I'm facing seems to actually be a pretty major thing. Pretty major thing, pretty big thing. It's almost overwhelming. And I just, you know what? I don't even know where to begin in my prayers with the Lord. I don't even know how to, how to speak about what I'm facing, And I just kind of get stuck in park. And worry begins to take root in my heart. Can you relate to that, maybe? And this verse tells us that we need to take everything to God in prayer. Big, small, monumental, mundane, everything in between. That's the first thing about our prayer. It's about everything. But secondly, it's prayer that's worshipful. It's prayer that's worshipful. In just this short verse 6, Paul actually uses three different words for prayer, verses six and seven. He talks about prayer, he talks about supplication, he talks about requests. And there's a a great deal of overlap in meaning between those three words, but this particular word that we've translated as prayer here, it it carries the idea of adoration and devotion. It's a prayer that recognizes who God really is. It's prayer that recognizes his majesty and his might. We're not just praying to anybody here, We're praying to the great God above all gods. We're praying to the King of Kings. We're praying to the Lord of Lords, the the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the, the creator and sustainer of all things, the one who is high and lifted up, the one who is our rock and our fortress. Do you get it? This is the God that we approach in prayer. And our attitude needs to be one of worship, one that recognizes him for who he truly is. And this is is such a crucial point. And this is the place where we so often get off track. We don't bring our worries to God in prayer. Why? Well, because we, we, we begin to forget or ignore his character and his conduct. We, we kind of forget about who we're really talking to, who this God is. And to make matters worse, 
kind of compounding the problem, Satan is actually actively whispering lies to us about God in order to keep us stuck in a place of anxiety. We tend to forget and God, uh, Satan just heaps on lies. And I think there's two primary deceptions that to varying degrees we actually embrace and these prevent us from coming in a worshipful way to the Lord with our concerns. These are lies straight from Satan. One lie is that that God is indifferent. God is indifferent. We, we wonder, God, do you genuinely care about the specific burden or need in my life? Do you really? And we may think that our particular concern just doesn't show up on his radar. We, we kind of imagine God looking down from heaven and seeing us struggling and just shrugging his, whole, his shoulders and saying, oh well. Why don't you just kind of take care of that on your own? We, we begin to believe that God is unsympathetic to our situation. Now listen, we're all good Christians and none of us would actually say those words. We would never articulate it as such. But that's essentially the deal. That's how we're living. And it happens unintentionally. It happens so subtly if we're not careful. And that's why Oswald Chambers referred to anxiety as unconscious blasphemy. Unconscious blasphemy. When worry begins to gain a foothold without even realizing it, we're saying something false in our heart about God. It's an unconscious blasphemy. Is God actually indifferent? Of course not. Of course not. We know verses like 1 Peter 5, 7, where it says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. God's not indifferent. He, he has a heart of compassion. He wants to lift that burden from our shoulders. He wants to help us overcome our worry. So that, that's one lie that Satan whispers in our ears. God is indifferent. But a second one is that God is incompetent. God is incompetent. We wonder, God, are you really able to handle my particular issue? I mean, maybe it's just too complicated. Maybe it's too deep-rooted. Maybe it's too long-standing. Maybe it's too whatever, you name it. Whatever the case may be, we, we begin to think it's beyond his capacity to really solve it. We believe that God is incompetent. He is incapable. Now, again, we would never say those words. And if pushed, we would say, of course not. Of course he's capable. But that's how we live for all practical purposes. And it's so far from the truth. Listen to Isaiah 59 verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear. God is strong. God is capable. He is mighty. A.B. Simpson, the, the founder of the Christian and Missionary Alliance denomination. He wrote these wonderful words. He said, our God has boundless resources. The only limit is us. Our asking, our thinking, our praying is too small. Our expectations are too limited. So friends, God is, God's not incompetent. God is infinitely able to help us overcome our worry. Okay, so, so God is calling me to overcome worry. He wants me to express my concerns in prayer. And that prayer needs to be about everything. And it needs to be worshipful. It needs to recognize God for who he truly is. And lastly, my prayer needs to be thankful. Do you notice that phrase there just tucked in with thanksgiving? 
It almost seems like a little afterthought. He just squeezed it in there. But it's, it's not evident in English, but in the original Greek, that phrase, it receives extra emphasis. It's as if with thanksgiving is bolded and highlighted and all cap, underlined, all of that. It's, it's like with thanksgiving, don't forget this really important thing. And what that tells me is our father delights in receiving a genuine thanks from his children. He, he loves to hear us say thank you. And in that respect, he's just like any other earthly family, every other earthly parent. Don't we love to hear our kids say thank you? Don't we teach them as one of the first things for them to say is to, to say the words thank you? We all love to receive that. But when it comes to our prayers, when it comes to our talking to God, how often do we just ask but not express any thanks? As we express our concern to God in prayer, we need to do so with an attitude of gratitude. And thankfulness is so important because it keeps us from becoming too fixated on our current challenges. Gratitude is what helps us to get a, a grander perspective on life. It, it reminds us of God's many demonstrations of care in the past, and it also focuses our thoughts on his innumerable blessings here and now. And his goodness, both in the past and the present, give us a, a firmly grounded hope for the future. What God has done and he is doing, we can be confident that he will do again. That's the power of thanksgiving. And so with those as, as foundations, prayer about everything, prayer that's worshipful, prayer that's thankful, Paul exhorts us, let your requests be made known to God. We can just pour out our hearts to God, not just in generalities, but with specificity. We can bring him our most personal needs, the deepest things of our hearts, and we can unload our burdens before him. And so I want you just to do a little evaluation here for a moment. As you wrestle with worry, maybe God's put in your mind already that biggest concern, that biz, biggest cause of anxiety that you're facing today. As you wrestle with that, do you express your concerns in prayer like we've talked about? Not perfectly, but are you striving more and more to prayerfully surrender all of your anxieties to God and to do so with an attitude of worship and an attitude of thanks? Here's the big question. What concern are you facing right now that you need to turn over to him? And what's holding you back from doing that? That's the first step in overcoming worry. But here's the rest of it. God calls me to overcome worry by expressing my concerns in prayer and experiencing the comfort of his peace. Look again, verses six and seven. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See what it says? It says, we give God our concerns through prayer and God in turn gives us the comfort of his peace. It's an absolutely incredible exchange. It's the best trade you could imagine making. That, that phrase, the peace of God, shouldn't be confused with the almost identical phrase that we see all through scriptures about peace with God. Romans 5.1, Colossians 1.20, lots of other passages talk about the peace that we can have with God through the shed blood of Jesus. And scripture tells us that because of our sinfulness, we're by nature the enemies of God. We're at war with him. 
But through repentance and faith, we can be reconciled to God. We can be brought near. In essence, what happens, there's a peace treaty that's drafted between us and the Lord. And when that happens, we shift from being his enemies to being his friends. In fact, his, his children, his sons and daughters. It's a beautiful thing. And my hope and prayer this morning is that each and every person here would say, I have peace with God. I have peace with God. I've made that right. My relationship with the Father has been restored. But that's not what Paul's talking about here in Philippians 4 verse 7. This isn't peace with God. This is the peace of God. It's, it's one of the wonderful byproducts, one of the incredible blessings that comes to us when we have peace with God. Peace with God leads to the peace of God. It's something that comes as one of those wonderful blessings. And the peace of God is that inner calm, that, that quietness of heart that only he can provide. It's, it's tranquility despite the trials. It's serenity in spite of the circumstances. That's the peace of God. And I'm reminded of Isaiah 26, verse three, a wonderful verse. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Think also of Jesus' words in John 14, verse 27. This is right near the end of his time on earth. And he said this, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. That is the peace of God. And this peace isn't, as Paul tells us, this isn't just any ordinary peace. This is peace that, that surpasses all understanding. That, that means God's peace is so amazing that it's, it's beyond what we can even begin to grasp. This is mind-blowing peace. This is off-the-charts peace. It is surpassing all understanding. It also means that God's peace is far superior to any plan that we could conjure up to deal with our worry. God's peace, it transcends human intellect and human analysis, human insight, human schemes, human devices, human solutions. God's peace surpasses all understanding. Why? Well, it's a supernatural work. It's a work of God, something that he gives. And those of you who have experienced the peace of God know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. In, in times of trouble, God's peace has been more than you could ever imagine. More than you could ever conjure up yourself. And I, I regularly hear testimonies like that as I have conversations with you. Read it week by week in the prayer requests and the praise reports that you write in the Connect folder. Just that sense of peace in the midst of, of the storm. I, I've experienced it personally time and time again. God's all-surpassing peace in the midst of trial and testing. And the difference is so evident, isn't it? Between those who have that quietness of heart and those who don't. Isn't it just stark? Between those who are overwhelmed with God's peace and those who are overcome with worry. And the thing is, God's inexhaustible resources are available to you today in full supply. And my observation is that God uses two prominent means to flow his peace into our lives kind of wonder like how is this kind of just a mystery how God's peace comes I think there's two primary ways and the first is God's peace comes through his promises 
through his promises. God uses the truths of his word to help us overcome our moments of worry. And God, by his spirit, will remind us that that he will never leave us or forsake us. Uh, He brings to mind truths like, he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. He, He reassures us with the promise that he's a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. And we could take a lot of time making a very long list of the promises of God all through the pages of scripture. And God wants to use those in conjunction with our prayers to help us experience the comfort of his peace. That's why he's given us them. And I, I will never forget the time when I was, I was about 10 years old and I was facing a situation that was causing me tremendous anxiety at that time. And my mom wrote Isaiah 41.10 on a little card. I don't know that I'd ever read that verse before then, but she wrote that on a card and gave it to me. And here's what that verse says. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I got to tell you, friends, that, that verse carried me through that difficult circumstance at that tender age in my life. It has carried me through many moments since. And God wants to use his promises to do the same in your life. But we've got to give him something to work with. We need to be reading his word, his living and active word, and filling our hearts and our minds with its truth, with its promises, so that the Holy Spirit can bring those back to mind. Because one of the ways God gives us his peace is through his promises. The other way I think that God flows his peace into our lives is through his people, through his people. He uses his body, the church, the family of God. Listen, friends, God never intended us to live the Christian life alone. He intended us to be in community. We need each other. I need you, you need me, we need one another to do this thing called the Christian life. And it's not just in gatherings like this of, of several hundred. We also need smaller settings where we, can, where we can take off our masks and be authentic and transparent and vulnerable and share those things that are causing us worry and, and then seek to bear one another's burdens. See, one of Satan's most powerful tools in keeping us not only bound by sin, but also burdened down by worries and concerns is to keep us in a place of isolation, a place of internalization, where it's just, it's just me by myself with my struggles bottled up inside. See, if Satan can keep us like that, he's got us exactly where he wants us. But when we can bring those things out into the light in a place of safety with, with people who love us, who people who want God's best for us, that's when we experience the comfort of his peace. That, that's the heartbeat behind our small group ministry, behind our, our steps ministry and biblical soul care. I, and I just, I cannot commend to you strongly enough the power of being in uncommon community. As we express our concerns in prayer, we experience the comfort of his peace and God does that through his promises and his people. I love that final phrase in verse seven where it says that this peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know that that word guard, it's a military term. It's the picture of a soldier on duty 
And just like a sentinel stands watch and protects a city, so God's peace, it stands watch. It protects believers. It protects you and me. It protects us when we're placing our trust in him through prayer. And the verse tells us that his peace guards our hearts. And what what are our hearts? Our hearts are susceptible to wrong feelings, right? It also says that it guards our minds. And our minds are susceptible to wrong thinking. It protects us from wrong thinking and wrong feeling. In other words, God's peace keeps watch over our inner person, the real you, who you really are. This doesn't mean no problems on the outside, but it does mean a quiet confidence on the inside. Because remember, peace isn't about the absence of trouble. It's about the presence of God. God's peace, available in Christ Jesus, is standing at the door of our hearts and our minds right now. And I just wonder, can you say with the psalmist today, I love this from Psalm 94 verse 19, is this your testimony? When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Are you finding that to be true in your life today? I want you to bow your heads with me as we, as we close. Just with your heads bowed, I want to read you some words from a much-beloved hymn. We don't sing it too much anymore, but these words just really summarize what we've been talking about today and just allow these words to wash over you. This is a song called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus, he he knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms, he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Oh, Father God, your word is so simple and yet so profound. And God, we thank you for this passage that helps us to know how we can overcome worry, anxiety, those concerns that burden us down. God, I pray that you would help us to be doers of your word, not just hearers only. God, that we would express our concerns to you in prayer and and then know the joy of experiencing the comfort of your peace. God, it's, it's available even now. God, I pray especially for the person who is so overwhelmed so overwhelmed by anxiety that they don't even know where to turn God who wonders if you care wonders if you're there wonders if you can do anything God may each of us turn to you in confidence in this our time of need 
We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.